0: Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday. This is uh, your co-host, uh, Peter Birmingham, and yours truly, Duncan Palamortes. Peter, how are you today and why are we excited?
0: I am very well, Duncan, and we are very excited. We have a very special guest today. Um, I don't think he really needs much of an introduction to most of our most of our audience. He's a poker player, writer, philosopher, all those things. Um, and host one of the hosts of the Thinking Poker podcast, and that is Mr. Andrew Brokos. You're very welcome, Andrew.
2: Thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity to to join you. I was saying right, right before we started recording, I have very fond memories of uh, I think our longest interview ever on the on the Thinking Poker podcast was with Duncan. Uh, we we just kept going and going. Uh, <laughs> so I remember that being a very fun conversation. And uh, if if he sees fit to work with you, Peter, then I'm sure that we'll get on as well.
0: Oh, ah, thank you.
1: <laughs> we, we we appreciate the, the kind words and 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 Andrew. I know you need no introduction in the poker world, but we will give you a proper one regardless because I'm I'm so excited. Uh, so to 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 attempt the impossible and summarize, you know, Andrew in a few words. The phrase "asset" to the poker community comes to mind. He's an author of over a dozen books that I know of, including the highly acclaimed Play Optimal Poker series as well the most recent Essential uh, Essential Poker Concept series which you can find on Amazon, but in other places as well, in his website. He's also the author of an article that sits on my personal Hall of Fame of best articles of all time. Uh, It's the 2009 article Raising for Information. He hosts one of the oldest and longest podcasts in poker's history, Thinking Poker, who has piloted both by himself, but also with incredible co-hosts such as uh, Nate Mavis in the past and currently Carlos Welch. He's, of course, a top poker player with several caches at WSOP. He's also an instructor, and he has helped several people improve their games, including myself, both directly and indirectly. So I owe a lot of uh, my present game to Andrew and all the things that, you know, I've learned from him over the years, uh, over the more than a decade now. So in terms of background, he's formally trained in philosophy with a degree from University of Chicago, which gives us the perfect excuse... To invite him over to podcast and have a conversation with him. <laughs> Andrew, what I want to know, did I forget anything? I'm pretty sure I did.
2: <laughs> well, you know, what What life can be summarized in, in just a few sentences? I actually, I, I want to quibble a little bit with the, the formally trained in philosophy, just so people don't get too excited. I, I do have a degree in philosophy. That degree is 20 years old, and uh, we can talk about what? how little was required of me to receive a philosophy degree from the University of Chicago, it, uh, might appall people who uh, have certain ideas about philosophy, but I will say there there are uh, significant blind spots in my knowledge of the philosophical canon.
1: So I guess then one question would be, uh, if you compare the things that you learn during your training and after your training, uh, because I'm sure you do your own reading and things like that, how would the two uh, compare? What are the things that perhaps you learned Over the past twenty years versus during
2: your training, Um, yeah. I mean, I think the 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 way that I would think about having been trained in philosophy, like taking philosophy classes and things, is not so much that I learned like specific information. You know, that I'm gonna like repeat a sentence or something that was, uh, oh, this professor said this, and you know, it just blew blew my mind. I mean, there were probably a few moments like that, but I think a lot more of it is just getting tools for. you know, the rest of your life. <laughs> it <Right, laughs> kind of helps you to uh, make, make the kinds of decisions that we all have to face and, uh, you know, hopefully continue to to accumulate wisdom and, and learn more about the world. So and I think there's no question that, you know, 20 years of life experience, you're going to learn a lot more than you are, n- no matter how rich the like academic setting that, that you're in. But I think that w- with a good foundation, and it's not like philosophy is the only way that you can get this foundation, but, uh, you know, I-, I think that it, helps you to make the most of the experience. i mean it, to process experiences that you've already had and things that you've already read and then also to make the most of uh, experiences that, that you will have going forward i think actually to the extent that they're what i would say like the university of chicago in particular is is really aggressive on like not being practical that's like their whole thing is like we don't offer any like practical job training skills like in, unless the job that you have in mind is academic like there's there's no there's no pre law there's no pre med like that's not um, um, there, there, there's no no practical training of any kind. Um- but so, so like one of the more practical things, I, I took a, a course on uh, happiness, which I mostly just took because I liked the the professor, but it did actually end up being it was it was surprisingly rigorous first. Some people kind of thought it was my senior year, and some people were like, Oh, that's like a slacker class that you're taking in, in your senior year. But uh there was a good amount of rigor, like there was a, a lot of reading involved, and and I mean, we were to some degree looking also at the sociology of happiness, not just to kind of vague uh, you know, what what makes people happy, but just questions about like what is it um what does it mean to, to to live a good life? You know, what is what does that look like? And but just very practically, like what actually makes people happy? And you know I had heard these things before, but the 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 idea of, the, the, there there is a level of wealth that is important right that like essentially w- the the main driver of, of happiness for a lot of people is um feeling control over your life so when you're at a, in a state of poverty where you don't have control over your life right you, you don't know where your next meal is coming from or you don't you're not protected from the elements or from dangerous people in your life or whatever uh you know that that is very stressful and and that leads to people experiencing, you know, low levels of, of happiness or high levels of unhappiness. And, um, but, you know, once you've kind of secured certain things, like, you know, if if you have, for instance, and I'm sure we've all heard this, right, you know, like you have a million dollars and then you get another million, like you are not doubling your happiness. That's, like, that's exactly right. Uh, so, and, it, you know, I think that has a lot of implications for poker in terms of um what what your goals are in, in poker and, and what opportunities you pursue and that sort of thing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the the so-called diminishing utility of, of wealth, right? You're absolutely yeah. uh, absolutely correct. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because I was hoping to ask you as a joke, uh, what is the meaning of life? And now that you made that amazing introduction, I'm going to ask you very seriously, what is the meaning of life for you, Andrew? Like, what would you say <laughs> it is? <laughs> uh,
2: I, I know I claimed earlier to have learned a lot in the last 20 years. Uh, I, I can't claim that I've learned the answer to uh, to that question.
1: <laughs> what would you say is uh, your current working theory? You know, like if you were to, to, you know, you wake up today and you had to decide for yourself, this is where I think uh, the answer is so far for me. What would
2: the answer be? Um, I mean, it's just on a, like a, a practical like day to day basis. I would say the the main thing I'm trying to do is like. Treat people well, and in particular to. Look out for people who are often not treated well. Um, mm-hmm. to, to sort of take particular interest in people who who are not treated well, and to try to take advantage of the um, position that that I'm in, like various privileges that I have in my life, and just the the platform that that I have, and and the microphone that I have to, you know, Im- improve their their treatment or help help other people uh, understand the. Flight of people who are often not treated well.
1: Absolutely, no. That, that that's great. And what if I were to follow up on this? What is it that makes you, um, you know, happy or content? Um, what what happens? What are the inner workings? The, the the reason behind that? What 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 do you would you say is the the reason why it gives you pleasure?
2: If uh, I think it's often hearing from someone that their life was you know improved or enriched as a result of of something that I did and that um so you know the, the other big thing that i've done outside of poker is uh, i i was very active in competitive debate when i was in high school and college and then uh you know later worked in in the chicago public schools and then in, in the boston public schools uh starting debate or or facilitating uh, debate programs in uh, high schools and now this organization is working in the middle schools a, as well in in boston and that was something that i was very involved with for a few years and uh so now people who I knew as kids when they were in that program are now entering their thirties and, you know, are starting to have, uh, you know, established careers of, of their own and things like that. So th- there's a satisfaction in, in, I always kind of thought of that as like, well, that's the more like meaningful side of my life. You know, there's like the poker is kind of utilitary and mercenary. I have to make some money over there. And then like the meaningful thing that I'm doing is helping, helping these, these kids. And uh, I won't claim that like poker is, is equally as enriching, but, uh, I mean, it has, I have thought, especially as I've, started spending more and my t- more and more of my time in in the poker space, not just playing poker, but as you mentioned, like writing the books and doing the podcast and and that sort of thing. Um I did kind of wonder like, well, is that Enough. Like, have have I? Uh, am I getting too distracted by that? And, and I'm not as focused on on those things that I told you were important to me a moment ago. Like, am yeah. I actually am I actualizing that in, in in the work that I'm doing? And um, so I we have occasionally gotten comments from people, particularly like during the the height of the pandemic, um, you know, where people were saying that like the podcast was actually a thing that. Was, was helpful to them, you know, that it was reassuring for them to be able to listen to it or just, you know, people had jobs that they really didn't like and being able to listen to the podcast while they were doing that job. Uh, you know, I, I think that I probably am or have, uh, I still do it, I guess, sold short a little bit the value of just creating something, even if it's not as kind of explicitly helpful as uh, teaching like valuable life skills to underprivileged youth or something. Sure. Um, I think that the... You know, a lot of people are unhappy in, in different ways. And um, there's a lot of ways that you can lift them up and they don't all have to be. Uh, and it's not like, I mean, so, hey, like, I don't really think of any of this as charitable. Like, I enjoyed the the debate stuff a lot. I made a lot of friends that enriched my life uh, in a lot of ways. And certainly, the, the you know, the, the podcast is like, Carlos and I enjoy doing that together. We don't make a lot of money from it. It's oh, just like, nice. we, it's, it's a thing that, that we enjoy doing and part of that joy comes from the fact that that's a joy that the audience, you know, shares and knowing that that is that other people are also uh, enjoying that.
1: No, that that makes perfect sense. And we, we can totally relate to that. And, 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 and to your point, uh, I understand, you know. Sometimes, you know, poker can get a bad rep, but but at the same time, it is a leisure activity. It is, uh, you know, games can be important to many people. Knowing mm-hmm. to to how to to navigate, uh, we've talked in this podcast a lot about the concept of flow um, from um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, which I mean, this this book now is I don't know 40 years old. Yeah. I, but I also
2: I, I encountered that book for the first time in that happiness class.
1: And the, and the happiness class, I see. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting, but it is it is very cool because uh, poker. In some sense, has all of these attributes for somebody to to go into flow. I mean, it has a, a feedback mechanism. It's a little bit of a twisted feedback mechanism, but there is it's there. There is some some goal setting, and it challenges you. So I, I can see why people can improve their lives by potentially getting better at it. So uh, you you're right. I mean, it's not exactly like teaching underprivileged kids, but at the same time, it can have tremendous amount of, of value, especially again as someone on has receiving it especially the way you're doing it it was what I was about to say like as someone who's been following your work for a long time it has helped me tremendously uh improve my life i can only speak for myself but i'm sure a lot of other people can relate to that so there is a a great deal that can be said even even for that game especially when it's done in a in sort of like a, a proper way you know like you know we treat everybody with respect you know it's a, it's a competitive game we understand that all we see at the, at the poker table um we're there, and we're taking certain risks. As long as all of these things are clearly defined, nobody is, you know, struggling with 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 addictions, and we're taking advantage of them, and all of this side ugly stuff that can be there. As long as we have a proper way to, not necessarily eliminate them, eliminate them, but mitigate them, I think they can be very beneficial.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm I'm very influenced on this by Tommy Angelo, um, who I I, I don't want to like butcher the line, but to to paraphrase him a little bit, I think essentially he says, you know, poker is like a, a machine for producing um, misery. Maybe is the word that that he uses. That it is sort of perfectly calibrated. Of you're you're at least when you're playing live poker, you're in. Public, you're experiencing maybe pain was the word he is. He's big on, on that yeah, word pain, but yeah, yeah. um, you know, your your other people are, are seeing you experience this pain. There's money involved. <laughs> there's uh, there's inconsistent feedback. There's like all these things. But so you can take that as a positive though, and you can say, well, this is a kind of in some sense low. St-. Even if you're paying for a lot of money, it's low stakes compared to like many things that will actually happen in your life. Dealing, you know, the death of loved ones or illness or various, you know, um. So it it, it is kind of a like. A low stakes or practice environment to experience those things and learn to deal with disappointments and learn to deal with other people getting very upset around you. Like that's a huge thing that, that I learned Absolutely. from poker is just you know a, a lot of times people will get very angry in some sense at you. You know they'll, they'll they'll call you names or they'll they'll say nasty things to you and to be able to separate yourself from that a lot and say like because in poker it's so obvious you're like okay that guy's mad because he paid off a river bet that he knew he shouldn't have and now somehow that's my fault like you know like see so this like it, it's very clear to see the the, the connection uh but then you, you start to see that elsewhere in your life you're like oh i see this person is actually upset about something entirely different even though they're shouting at me right now it's still not easy but like it's a little easier for me to be compassionate in my response when people are um you know behaving aggressively toward toward me uh to to have had those experiences in in poker and, and oh I recognize this behavior. I, I see what this is. Oh, yeah this is this is absolutely this... Peter.
0: Oh sorry Duncan. I didn't mean to it just actually just it brings up actually just talking about the the sort of that social side of it brings up something interesting because um Patrick Howard actually tweeted yesterday about how expensive of a hobby is online poker for a recreational player. And actually, surprisingly, and obviously, we know Patrick is big into MDA and obviously has huge pools. So we can we can kind of take it that his information is relatively um, is is relatively good, that it's about $18 an hour for a recreational to play 100 no limit online, which if that's something you're enjoying and you get pleasure from, even if you're losing, it's not actually an expensive hobby from that perspective. Yeah, I mean like 18 I'm... there's not much you can do for $18 an hour that would give you a lot of entertainment, you know, probably that level of interaction and entertainment where like you can still win, but at the at the end of the day, it's you know, you're placing bets, and overall you're losing, but there is a potential there. Um, so yeah, it's just an it's just an interesting sort of sidetrack on it there. Yeah.
1: Uh, Andrew, did you want to comment on that? Uh, you you had something to say on that.
2: Um, I think what I was going to say. The other thing I was going to say in, in terms of um, seeing behavior, uh, the it, it was a non poker example actually. But um, I spent some time a couple of years ago with my my cousin and her, and her daughter, who at the time was maybe about three years old. And uh, I, I got on very well. I, I still have a very good relationship with, with, uh, I guess she's my second cousin or my first cousin once removed, however that works. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she was, she was, we were, my, my partner and I were staying at, at their house for a few weeks. And so, you know, we, we were in a, a pretty like intense relationship with the two of them during the time that, that we were there, you know, we were almost like co-parenting the <laughs> the, the kid or her, her husband was away. So it was helpful to like have some other people there. Um, But uh, so, you know, this little girl was was very sweet with me most of the time. And then you could just tell, like, when she got tired, she was turned into a monster. And like, there was one time we were building blocks together. And all of a sudden, she just like walked over out of nowhere and pulled my hair and called me Andrew Poopyhead. (laughs) Like, well, A, I just got bullied by a three year old. So that was kind of funny. (laughs) But, like, it was just, it it was so plain to see, you know, how much her mood changed once she was tired. And then I started to realize, like, I started to see that in myself, you know, where I was like, so much of my being impatient with people or upset or even just like kind of pessimistic about anything, you know, just, um, and just like so much of it is fixed by sleeping or eating or getting a drink of water, just like very basic physical needs. Um, I mean, maybe some people, this is a level of emotional awareness that, that they learn much younger in life. But like I had to learn it from, you know, seeing a three-year-old struggle with emotional <laughs> regulation and then yeah. recognizing that behavior in myself.
1: Absolutely, Andre. And, you know, let me say this, we can learn from anything and, and anyone. And it's, it's funny that you mention those things because there's so much... Uh, free and and good information, I would say, online. Uh, some of it inform- information is actually bad. But uh, one of the things that I, I recently noticed also is that you can have a lot of different um, approaches to life and a lot of different suggestions. But very often, the common denominator comes down to things that you just mentioned, you know, like get get your sunlight, drink your water, get enough sleep, eat eat properly, whatever that means for you, exercise. And it's 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 funny, it's funny that that you mentioned that. But yes, uh, a, a three year old absolutely can teach us that. Uh, it's uh, and anybody. It reminds me of my uncle who who used to say I I learn from everybody. He talks to random people on the street and then he he, <laughs> he learns from them. Yes, I. <clears throat> We, we did have a question for you so that, you know, uh, for the, I don't know, less than 1% of the listeners who don't know who uh, who you are. So perhaps uh, like a little, bit, a little bit, we can play a little bit of game. Um, so I- imagine that we have sort of like an alien visiting, right? And you get to choose a game uh, to compete against them. And that game is a labor game. It doesn't have to be poker. It can be basically something you think you are on the top percentile of the world so that you would be a good representative to play against the alien. And let's say uh, it's a thought experiment. So we have a device that accurately measures uh, your skills. So for example, if that game is your ability to tell the truth, we have a device that does that. If uh, you know the, the game is, uh, let's say, uh, intuition, we have a device that accurately measures that. So it's sort of like a black box. And conversely, what would you say is something you believe you're at the bottom one percentile of?
2: Thank you. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm I'm struggling a little bit to understand the the, the terms here. So, Please. when you say a game, mm-hmm. what I mean, do you mean a, a game like poker or?
1: Oh yeah, or, that, that, yeah. So for for that, uh, that that that's a that's a fair question. No, I mean like something, uh, an attribute or a game. Uh, basically, you can compete. What would you say is one of your attributes or 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 a skill? that you think you are at the, at the, uh, near the top of the world if you were to measure your skills against everybody in the world you will say well that's probably something that i'm near the top uh, percentile so i will be a good representative to you know to compete on that attribute slash game i'm using the term game metaphorically against the alien
2: Okay, this is going to be a very nitty answer, but you know, Please. very few, very few people are in the top one percent of anything in in that's, the world. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's very good. I'm I'm reluctant to put myself in that category, but okay. I guess it just in terms of like what attribute would I choose as kind right. of my most most competitive? Yeah. And I'm going to assume that I don't know anything about these aliens because <laughs> my my first, I'm tempted to say something like logic. Um, logic. But uh, you know that I think like is sort of the, the traditional like science fiction alien. I think is also like very good at logic. So I don't know if I would necessarily claim to have a a relative advantage. But if, if these are like blank slate aliens, we're not we're not bound by any sort of canon. Um, then yeah, I, I would I would probably take logic up there and. Uh, I mean, emotional awareness could easily be on the bottom, despite like <laughs> like all the things that I was was just sharing with you are like very recent <laughs> revelations for me. So, um, yeah, that, that could be at the bottom.
1: L- logic and emotional awareness, the the two extremes. I, I, I yeah, absolutely. Love I didn't even it. think
2: about that when I was giving the answer, but yes,
1: absolutely. And if you if in the middle of the conversation you think something else, you you absolutely let us know. And by the way, I just wanna point out for the listener, uh, it's a, typically uh, a sign of a great mind. To understand how difficult it is to be on the top 1%. Typically, people, it's sort of like the reverse done in Kruger, right? I mean, uh, just basically realizing how difficult it is to be on the top 1%, it's probably a hint. But there might be a category that you actually are on the top one percent, right? I mean people who are really
2: humility is probably my top.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And 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 actually Andrew, you mentioned um you mentioned uh debate, and this is something that you know your your audience knows that you've been doing for a long time. And Peter, I believe you had a question about uh about debate, right? Like the Yeah. The...
0: So uh... I, I I was thinking about this one and I said, what, what do you ask somebody who's like, you know, a philosopher and a debater? Well, if you were to be stuck on a desert island, Andrew, with one person who you could only debate them and you only had one uh, topic to debate, who would that person be and what would the topic be?
2: Wow. It's interesting. A lot of the like first people so it's like a very different question from who would you like to meet, right? Because this is like yeah. who do you want to spend yeah. a lot of time with? And when I think back over kind of like specific like writers or philosophers or people who have who have influenced me or whose work I find interesting, uh, I I'm not particularly interested in like the biographies of of people, but um a fair amount of them do seem like pretty antisocial people. Like I think <laughs> Nietzsche it would be a lot to spend to be like on an island with Nietzsche. Oh, yes. Um, probably even like David Foster Wallace, like I think he, he held it together in certain public settings, but uh, I I think that just like being on an island with him would, would be quite a lot. Um, yeah, I would just like... The, the the combination of of kind of interesting but also tolerable tolerable <laughs> yeah that's interesting. <that's> <laughs> i guess i am I'm, I'm revealing something about myself that i'm a lot more concerned about the tolerable than the interesting but that's
0: well, a big to commitment it's I mean, not it's not a it's not a, it's not a, a small it's not an thing. like i mean it's something you have to consider
2: yeah so now i'm i'm trying to think like who um I mean, I don't know that I'd really want to like debate him. Martin Luther King comes to mind as, uh. as sort of like a, <laughs> a person who's both kind of like very, very wise and influential, but also seems like, you know, it would be pleasant to be around and not. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. right.
1: Uh, but yeah, I don't
2: I, I guess I would rather just like sit and listen to him talk than like argue. I mean, I'd probably I mean, I guess the debater in me would like find something to argue with him about eventually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's I think the combination of those two things is, is tricky for me to to pinpoint uh, a good candidate. That's absolutely that's, that's
0: that's not not unreasonable it is like i mean it's it's it, it's difficult it's almost like picking your three favorite uh albums to take to mars which uh, as which was the discussion we were having just before we uh just we before we came on air but um even to it's nice to just even get a sense of you know what um the kind of people that you would find interesting to to talk to is is good so thanks for it thanks for that andrew
1: yeah. and and, and that, and uh how about somebody like uh uh diogenes like one of the first uh, uh cynics uh he because you mentioned uh, somebody who's who's interesting and there's a, a story that immediately popped to mind he um i believe it was alexander the great at the time who visited uh, who visited athens and diogenes was like very very popular for for, for those who who may not know he was like walking around on a stick he was being in public uh, he just didn't didn't care about uh, the the social aspects uh, he he wasn't doing it for the sake of doing it he just thought that that's the way of being liberated basically and alexander the great was impressed so he comes at some point i mean he diogenes was like sitting on a shadow somewhere and um uh, alexander the Great is like uh, Diogenes, it's a pleasure to meet you, you know, name one thing and I will absolutely give it to you. And it's like, can you please move away? You're blocking the sun for me. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that sounds like a cool dude. I don't know.
2: Yeah, that's a good example. And I actually, I think poker attracts a lot of people like this, where I have a lot of respect for like weirdos or, or people who are are very willing to just kind of like not not be constrained because i like i think i am a fairly constrained by like social pressure person so like i have a lot of respect for people who are more just like willing to not care what people think and just do but again like as if i were a person on an island with them I would want them to care what I think like I, sure, sure. <laughs> they're not necessarily people that I want to like spend a ton of time with, but I do think they are important. And I think like there's a lot that we can learn from them. And I think they should have the space to do the things that they want. But I, th- and I think it's like not a coincidence that a lot of great artists fall in this category of like in their pursuit to be like creative and original. They also, you know, did a lot of damage to people around them.
1: That's 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 a very that's a very good point. Yeah, uh, and 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 Peter, I mean, you mentioned something we are talking before the podcast started. I mean, we have to follow up for the listener. Was that? I mean, we can ask that question to Andrew.
0: Yeah, oh, the, the three the, albums. With the, the three, three albums, albums yeah. you take to Mars. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's another tricky one. We're like, uh, maybe I'm just too literal with these with these answers because <laughs> a lot of my like, if, if I would just say kind of my my favorite albums or something, there are there are certain things that. um I know that something is like a good song or is a song that I really liked at one time, but I've just heard it so much that uh, I I feel like maybe Hotel California falls in this category where I'm like, it's a, it's not a bad song. It's just, I've just heard it so many times. (laughs) I I don't need to hear it ever again in my life. Like I'm, I'm just good on Hotel California. Um, So there's some stuff like that, I guess in terms of like albums that I actually do return to a lot. And I think that I, I would like be fairly happy to listen to, there's at least two that come to mind right away uh the nirvana unplugged um that was a big, oh, that was one of the yes, very first absolutely. albums that i ever owned and i still like i i think partly it's just because it was music that i listened to when i was a teenager but there, it is it's still kind of and it's not like i don't know if it's really like comforting or reassuring music objectively <laughs> but it uh it, it like it takes me back to it has like a nice nostalgic effect in addition to i think just being a very good album in, in general um and uh neutral milk hotel airplane over the sea um that's another like it's both nostalgic for me but i also think just like a very a very good um album third choice I'm, i mean i kind of want to choose like one of the early kanye west albums but it's very difficult for me to listen to that now like yeah with n- of- not in like a uh I don't have like a moral objection to listening to his music. It's not like I can't listen to Kanye West anymore, but like I just it it makes me sad, like right. because th- even yeah. like the the message of of the early albums compared to where he's landed. Like I've some of, like some of his early stuff has like a very kind of anti-consumerist uh, message, and I feel like he I don't know. I mean, obviously he's 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 going through a lot, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, they are among my my favorite albums, but. Kind of makes me sad to listen to them now. No,
1: absolutely. And, and you know, you, you're bringing uh, a, a natural question, uh, which is something that people have asked for a long time. Do you think uh, the art can be detached from the artist? In And I think you probably know where I'm going with this, but do you think that the piece of art can be enjoyed completely separately from the artist themselves? Or do you think that there's a certain aura of that artist moving around that art and whatever it may be something that they've done socially their previous work their beliefs about the world uh, can the two be separated
2: i mean i, I think there's kind of t- like can they be separated for me like i mm-hmm. i know what i know about kanye west right, and right. like i'm going to think of it when right. i hear his music so you know if if i could just sort of play for a person who somehow didn't know who Kanye West was. And I was just like, here, listen to the song. Isn't this a good song? Like, of course they could enjoy it. And like, it wouldn't be like colored by, by, But like my experience of it is, um, actually I, I heard, uh, I listened to a lot of, um, this podcast WTF, which is, uh, one of the like early, very popular podcasts hosted by this, um, a uh, stand-up comic, Mark Maron, and he's had a lot of very famous people on the show now, but initially he had a, a lot, I mean, he still has a lot of stand-ups on there, but initially it was all, like, comics that he was, he was friends with, and, um, you know, th- they talk a lot about the kind of, like, cancel culture stuff, or, uh, and I think t- talk about it in, like, a, a pretty nuanced way that it, you don't encounter many other places, um, and one of the things is because he used to have a lot more of an attitude of like, nobody can tell me what to say. I say what I want when I'm on stage. Um, and he was like, you know, ultimately, this is like a night out that people are paying for, you know, like they're they're coming to see you. They uh, for many people, you know, that's a lot of money to get a babysitter if they have kids and, and you know, paying to, to come to see to the show and, and things like that. And there are certain topics where if you bring them up, no matter how well crafted your joke is, it's going to ruin somebody's night. Like if if you bring up the concept of sexual assault, you are reminding some people of the worst night of their life. And that's not or hopefully only one experience of it. But um you know, that's that's just not a pleasant evening out for people. Like, they're not getting the thing that they came to get. And I'm not saying, like, there's no context. Like, I think that there are comedians who have, you know, done bits on – very touchy subjects and have executed them well and i think that it works like i think youtube is nice for this where like i can seek out that bit when i'm in the mood to see it and i know what i'm getting i know people like make fun of the idea of like trigger warnings and and whatnot now but you know i think that springing that on people and we were just like you came to see a comedy show and now we're talking about rape like that's that's a lot (laughs) just like (laughs) throwing somebody with no with no warning um so I don't I don't know, I don't know how that's maybe a little tangential to your your nope. original question but um yeah it's a sort of there, there's there's connections that you might have to material that like once you know something about who the artist is whether or not they've inserted anything about it into the material just like knowing knowing that about like I I I think about those things once, once I hear their music and then I I have to hear it differently
1: Oh, no, absolutely. And it's, and, and it's an excellent point and a nuanced point. And I mean, I could at least ask you 10 different questions, you know, like, you know, like maybe responsibility, you know, that when somebody, for example, goes and listens to somebody like Anthony Zeselnik and then, you know, rape comes up as a topic. Is that, you know, as surprising as, let's say, uh, someone like uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, so right. which is like completely, completely different comedians. But um, you, you reminded me of... Uh, a, a Greek comedian, unfortunately, the audience may not be uh, familiar with them unless they're Greek themselves. But just to, to paint a picture the biggest troll, imagine the biggest troll on, on in Greece, like literally the biggest troll, he's trolling e- e- everybody uh, and a, a very funny, f- funny dude. Uh, he is the, basically the definition of anti-establishment uh, or the modern Diogenes, and um, th- they w- he was asked in an interview, like, you know, do you think there is limits in comedy? And everybody was expe- expecting this guy to say, no, I can say whatever I want. I mean, I'm trolling everybody on a daily basis. And he said, yes, of course, there's limits in comedy. The audience sets those <laughs> limits. To, to your point, Andrew, right? I mean, you know, if if somebody goes at, at, at the comedy, I mean, they are the customer, right? I mean, they're the people, you know, the comedian is trying to entertain. So if the, the audience pushes back, that's something that the, the comedians uh, should and, and and listen to and typically will. I don't know.
2: Yeah, but I think even before, so, like, once you've brought up the subject, it's too late for them. To, you so, know, it's like, it's, it's more a matter of... um so, like, I think, I think the the answer of like, do you know what you're getting into when when you show up? Um, you know, if, maybe if you are going to an Anthony Jeselnik show, like a fair number of people already know what what his deal is, and you know, maybe you should, if, if you are bringing someone who doesn't know, maybe you should warn them what what they're <laughs> what they're in for. Uh, but I think sure. you know, I think there's a lot of context where people just don't. Um, you know, casinos are a great example of this. Like, people get comp tickets for shows, and and they just, and probably casinos have more rules for you know like they tell people not to bring up certain certain subjects just for purely economic reasons of like look you know this is an establishment where we're encouraging escapism and we're not going to raise certain subjects and i i imagine that there's you know forms th- those forms of sort of discouraging certain topics have, have come up for a long time but you know i know at least for a while uh louis ck as part of his kind of uh I don't know, comeback or whatever, whatever thing he's, he's trying to do, Um, you know, was making like surprise appearances at, at shows. So like people went to a comedy show with no idea that he was going to be one of the performers and then he comes out and you know is maybe even joking about like the specific things that that he did and that's another it's again like no one people didn't consent to that they didn't have a chance to opt out of it they didn't sign up for pushing back or, or for having an argument with nor are they on an equal platform to have an argument with him like the the damage is kind of already done. Uh, I, like, I, again, I don't have a problem with, like, the existence of, of him. I, I personally, like, I was a big Louis C.K. fan. He's another, I mean, much like Kanye West, where, like, it's just, it's difficult for me, especially because his material does deal with, like, his sort of weird sexual hangups in, in a lot of ways. Like, it is difficult to listen to that, knowing what I now know about him. I do still think, like, I I still think a lot, and, like, a lot of his early earlier stuff did, like, shape how I think about things. I think he's, like, a very talented person, and I'm glad that... You know that material exists in the world, but I think people that you know deserve to be warned that they are you know about to be exposed to Louis A.K. humor and not have it like sprung on them.
1: Uh, that's a that's a very that's a very good point. Information is always key. You know, like uh, when you can have information, then that can trigger awareness, and then it can it can help with uh, with the decisions
2: and, well, and, uh, and consent. I would say, like, because I think we, right. I was thinking about this. You, you mentioned, you know. Uh, When we were talking about poker a a while back and, uh, you know, people often ask this question of kind of like uh, people who don't know a lot about poker have the idea that the poker is a lot about like lying or the, the bluffing is lying. And the way that I think about it is there's no like deception is the expectation when you're at mm-hmm. the poker, like mm-hmm. everyone is there fully understanding, or I mean, it actually, it gets awkward when they're not like, I've played in some settings where it is a more casual thing and people are like, Oh, you're, you're playing a little hard, man. Like we don't, we don't right. check and raise right. here. <laughs> like <you
1: know? laughs> Check and raise is permitted. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So like, yeah. That, I, like I find that an awkward situation. Cause I'm like, are we doing this or not? Like, it's fine. Yeah. If, if, if we're going to like, I don't want to play poker. If we're going to be like, if we're just going to be like, Hang, like I'll play a different game. Like I don't. But if it's poker, then like it needs to be cutthroat. That's what the game is. Right. So like I. But you know, in, in most poker settings, it's just understood that you know we're going to be cutthroat. We're going to be we're trying to deceive each other, and there's no expectation of truth. Even when you ask me a question, like what did you have in that hand? You know that I'm not necessarily you. You fully. You know you're going to read into whatever I say, but the expectation is not that I'm telling you the truth when I tell you something, and we both know that, and that's like part of the part of the conversation. And so I think like where, where deception becomes a problem or where that kind of like mercenary thinking becomes a problem is in, in relationships where that's not consented to, you know, like in a, a romantic relationship where the, the, at least one person's idea is, you know, we're not just each trying to maximize our own interests and, you know, sort of whatever we take from the other person, we, know, like if one person is thinking of it that way and the other one is not, that's a problem. And so I think, you know, like poker, I think works because it isn't understood environment where everyone has kind of agreed and consented to relate to each other in that way uh, absolutely to, to the point where we're essentially discussing earlier that as long as
1: these things are uh, the the social con- uh, contract if you will like it's, it's yeah. understood what the rules of the game are absolutely yes yeah. yes and, and 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 peter uh since we we mentioned cancel culture i believe you had a question on, on cancel culture maybe we can we can ask him uh you know on yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It kind
0: of, yeah, kind of just—it kind of just fed into it that um, what your opinion was. Obviously, we're we're in a climate where cancel culture seems—you know—it's it's kind of taken probably too much of a hold in certain situations. But how much do you think it actually sanitizes debate, where people are now fearful for, with coming out with you know sort of unpopular opinions for fear of cancellation?
2: Um. I don't know. I don't know if I fully accept the premise that like, I mean, I know that's a thing that's that's talked about often. I feel like. Uh, a lot of the examples that people point to of sort of, you know, here's a person who who is canceled, like it doesn't strike me as anything particularly like egregious or. um I don't know. I I don't feel particularly constrained into, like in, on, in terms of my my podcast. Like I don't go around in fear of like oh my god what if I say the same thing? Uh, I, I certainly am not like oh I I can't even look at a woman or she's gonna such and such. Like uh, I I feel like a lot of the rhetoric around that is, is very kind of overblown. Um, I've tried to give people opportunities to convince me on it before, and uh, I, I, I'm I, I'm not really of the opinion that that we are in like a particularly. Uh, Cancel culturey sort of sort of mind. I mean, I'm obviously very aware of like the rhetoric around it. Um, and so, the, your question was like, how much is it is it chilling debate? Um, I think that what's happening is it's making space for other kinds of arguments that were not previously um, being heard or or being given the kind of footing that they are getting now. And I think it's that kind of um, uh, there's a good there's a good saying around this that that I I can't think of the exact wording of it. It's sort of like to a person who has always enjoyed advantages, equality feels like a disadvantage. Uh, I think that it is kind of there are people who are accustomed to having their opinions given uh, a sort of. Unfair amount of credence, and they were accustomed to other people not being taken seriously, or, or not being heard from at all. That they didn't, they they weren't presented with with their ideas at all. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of what's called cancel culture is actually pushback. It's like no one, no one is actually like Louis C.K. is doing fine. He's not canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that you know one example that is often pointed to as someone who's been like canceled. Um, so you know, I think for, for a lot of these folks, what's happening is they are they're getting criticized uh, they, are, they and there's more debate right there there are now people who are debating things that previously were not debated that previously were just they were put out there and there there was no no pushback was was heard from them so you know are some of those people now afraid to say things because they can't handle that pushback maybe uh, i feel like that's more on them um i think that you should be willing to defend the things that you're going to say in public and if you're like well i can't say this thing because then people are going to say that I shouldn't have said it because I don't know. I mean, either defend that you, that you should have said it, or maybe they're right. And you shouldn't say it. Like, I don't, uh, I, mean, I, 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 I'm sure that I, you know, in the 10 years that I've been podcasting, I'm sure I've said things that I regret. And if someone you know went back through my, you know, 10 year and pulled out something was like, Hey, what about this thing? I, I would feel comfortable either saying, yeah, that was a mistake. Uh, I wouldn't, Say that now. I'm. I'm sorry, but like, I, and I don't think that I would be canceled as a result of that. I, I. I think that you know, as long as that's presented in a. In a genuine, way, which, it would be for me. Um, I think that that. Would not cause a problem for me and i think that there might also be things where i would say yeah i do still stand by this and i'll I'll tell you why and i'll listen to your problems with it and i'll tell you why i stand by it and i think a lot of the the people who complain about being canceled don't want to do either of those things they they don't want to apologize for something that they said but they also don't really want to defend the thing that they said they want to be able to put it out there uh but not not defend it and so they often use that phrase oh it was just a joke well did you mean it or not like i like i know you said it like it was a punchline but there was also there was a point there and it doesn't seem like you want to defend that point but it also doesn't seem like you want to back off of it so like which is it you know like that that kind of waffling i have as a debater i have a big problem with that like i'm i'm fully for i'll I'll argue basically anything i'll I'll entertain any argument um but you need to be ready to stand behind it like i'm not going to give it credence uh in like a sort of half-assed way. Like I'm going to take it seriously. And that's going to include telling you why you're wrong. If that's you're a, wrong.
1: That's a very interesting point. And I think you're illustrating mm-hmm. the idea of, uh, of responsibility, essentially. Like you you have the responsibility yeah. of everything that you're saying. Uh, I, I do have a question related to that. Do you think the element of, I guess, what Taleb would call extremist stand, that we live in an era where uh, we have a little bit um too much reach especially we're talking about successful people uh for example a musician back in the day they will fill a stadium uh, and really back in the day you know only the people in the village will know about the musician so if somebody was angry at the musician you will have the 30 villagers who are angry at them um i mean certain problems can come from that they can be ostracized and other things but in this day and age if you're successful and you know uh, there is let's say a, a a pushback then you may have like a a million people be angry or sometimes a billion people be angry and um do, do you think that sort of like extreme um uh, power uh that exists in the modern world uh should also be taken into account when we measure responsibility
2: sort of the that your the things that you say are put out there might be heard in a totally different context maybe than than you had no idea. i think this happened with um we can easily imagine a hypothetical anyway, you know, where sure, th- sure. there's there's a word that means something in a different language. Right. And to me, it's just like a nonsense word. And so I put it in a song and and sure. you know, and then someone's like, hey, that word means such and such. And, you know, they're very upset about it. Um, I don't know. I mean, that strikes me as something where it's sort of like there's an explanation for that. Right. And uh, I understand that, you know, some people. Might not accept that explanation, or or you know are going to be more conspiratorially minded and be like, oh well, you no, he, he must have known what that what that meant when, when he when he put that out there or something. I mean, I I think you're right that as as something is exposed to like more and more people, like the likelihood that it's going to bother somebody or you know someone is going to have a negative reaction to it gets higher. Um, I think that that is kind of part of just like a a social debate like it's a big social debate. like again it's like more voices are are coming into the space and they have a right to be heard and you know other people can kind of evaluate them and uh i i can decide for myself like do i think that person actually knew what that word meant when they you know or, or like do i think do, do i buy the, the conspiratorial argument or do i buy the the other argument like i think that's just sort of something that gets hashed out uh, i mean i agree that we don't have like Maybe so. I mean, I think this is like a, a more general problem of sort of like our our certain of our technologies are kind of running ahead of our um, our moral reasoning and, and some other things as well. I mean, I think there's, there's much bigger places where that's a problem, like our our ability to um, affect people on the other side of the world. Like I, I think human beings in general are reasonably good at like i mean the thing that we have experience with anyway is kind of moral reasoning around people who are very close to us and like like physically close to us but also you know familial in in a family sense (laughs) close to us and so thinking like i I think a lot of people have a, a decent intuitive sense of like oh it's probably not right to like Punch a person who's standing near me, but you know the the harm that we do to people who are more uh, far away from us as a result of our actions. You know we we have the technology now to inflict that harm, and we don't really have moral intuition around how to how to think about that, how to think about the consequences of our actions for uh far- flung people for other forms of life for people who haven't been born yet um yeah you know, th- those are things that we're a lot less good at thinking about so I, I think to some extent like what you're describing there is kind of a subset of that much that much larger problem
0: i mean one 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 example and and this is this is quite a, a particular example, but i do I, I do think it has like sort of ra- wider ramifications um the issue with around j k Rowling, um are is this something you're both familiar with? Why? Yeah, she's I'm, been... I'm
2: reason I, I would say I'm maybe like at the 70th percentile of knowledge of this, like above average, okay, but so not like super
0: knowledgeable. Just for, quickly for the listeners, for anyone that doesn't understand, basically, she was in quote unquote terms cancelled um, because of her views on transgender people. Um, she is a fierce advocate for women's rights, but she doesn't feel that it is correct for transgender females, I think is the correct term. And if I apologise if I'm wrong. um, To occupy single-sex spaces with um, cis females, as I think is the correct term, Um, i.e., for example, women's prisons. Now, um, as a former prison officer, I can completely understand where she's coming from with this. But this has seen her attacked for being transphobic. Now, to me, on a surface level, this would appear an overreaction to call somebody transphobic when they're, on the one hand, protecting one section of society, because this is where this was the point and um, side she was coming from, that she was protecting uh, the rights of cis females um, versus allowing transgender females into the same space. There's... Like there's competing, there's a lot of competing incentives with this, uh, with this debate. It's not clear cut. Um, and I think to cancel somebody on that sort of basis seems extreme, like to, even to the point now where uh, there's, a, there's a game coming out this week, a Harry Potter game, and this is getting massive blow up that people are not buying it Always because magazine. of yeah. what's gone on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing I would say is that the the existence of that game would suggest that she has not been cancelled. Like again, she, she is doing fine. Um, yeah, she She's, she's been criticized, uh, but she's continuing yeah. to publish books. Uh, her her material is still
0: being licensed. But um, she is being excluded, though, Andrew. She's been excluded. Her legacy has been excluded. Like there was a massive Harry Potter anniversary show only just Christmas past, and she was completely excluded from that. And that's like, that's her legacy. And she's been, she's been almost, we don't care who wrote it. It's all about the stars now. She's, that's, that's a big deal to somebody who, to a writer. Their le- their actual legacy is being pushed to one side.
2: Yeah, I think this is, uh, uh, the, the, the details of, of her situation, I think are are bigger than we're going to be able to sort out in, in the next yeah, couple of minutes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I would say that I think there is, more to it than your your summary there. Um, I think that she her her presence on Twitter and a lot of things that she's said on on Twitter and like other other social media spaces. Like the, she, she may espouse that that view that that you shared there. I think she's espoused quite a few other views as well. Um, so I, I think that there's kind of a, a general. Um, there's a context for for all of that, and I don't have that full context. is, is part of why no, I'm and, real, and nor do I to, just
0: for as a disclaimer, I I don't have the full context either. But
2: yeah, um, so I, I might have lost sight of of what the the question was beyond my my quibbling with the premises. <laughs> and, and if if you
1: if you have concerns for certain situations where people um could potentially, and let's say it may not necessarily be J.K. Rowling, but let's say that we have a hypothetical. Uh, when when somebody may have said something which could be reasonable in in some respect, but because of the magnifying um, component of the backlash, the the magnifying component of the uh, disagreement, what people would call cancel culture, they actually get ostracized from specific uh, aspects of society.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say there are people. So there are also people who would be ostracized if she were included, right? Like I can fully understand why any trans person would say, well, I don't feel welcome at an event where you're inviting this person who seems to think that I shouldn't exist. And so then it's like, well, someone's going to be excluded one way or the other. And now it's just making a choice about who that person is going to be. And I think traditionally there was, there was no question about that. Right? It was like there, there were a certain group of people who were always the prioritized ones and there were Other people who were always the marginalized. And, like, I mean, that pattern has not, like, it's not like that's flipped completely. It's just like it's moved from being. really like rounded to 100 hundred zero to being like 98 two or something now you know like it, it's still like massively weighted in i should say our favor because i'm i'm largely in in the camp of people who who do get priority in in many of those situations so mm-hmm. i think it is it's more a question of like whose comfort is prioritized right and like it is like in the past there would be no i mean even at the time when when those books were, were written right i mean there there would be no question as to who was prioritized and now there is a debate around who's mm-hmm. who's going to be prioritized
0: But this, and I think that that kind of sorry, don't that kind of that just brings it back around to the idea we were discussing earlier about consent. That if, like, I mean, rather than say, and like, let's take that example where somebody's excluded from, you know, a show about what they've produced. If she can be included, and then if you have objections, you're you're you know, you have to consent to watch it. Nobody's been forced to watch this. I think. The idea that you're just excluding somebody so that they can they're not going to watch it anyway. This subset of people are not going to watch a show about that's based off uh, the writings of somebody that they don't want anything to do with. So why are we not allowing them to be included when those people who are being discomforted are not going to be uh, taken up the option to watch it anyway? So it, it comes back to consent, I think. But that's just, you know, I'm, I kinda, I kind of, this is something I kind of, I, I feel quite strongly about because I really, I have massive objections to the idea of actually canceling anyone who hasn't actually, you know, done something uh, egregious, you know, as in, you know, committed a serious crime or whatever. Like, I mean, people are entitled to their thoughts. But I think if you don't want to listen to them, don't listen to them. You know, turn them off, block them, whatever. We 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 don't have to allow these things into our lives. And I think restricting people from going about their business because they have X thoughts are, is wrong. I just yeah, I'm I'm just well,
2: but it's it's someone it. else it's someone else's business that you're talking about. I mean, they're they're making a choice about whether or not to give her a platform within the context of their business. And that it's a choice. and if if they choose to prioritize her, then they're going to lose interest from other people. and that's you know, a choice that they're making,
0: yeah, but so they're he, also they're also choosing to make money off the back of these people as well.
2: Right. So yeah is... no,
0: in,
1: in in the end of the day, I mean, it is clashes of of different responsibilities, right? I mean, different mm. groups have different responsibilities, and different people are expressing different opinions. I guess one one question that, uh, uh, that is related to to all of this uh, andrew is uh, are you concerned at all about because again uh, cancel culture is is a very complicated issue like like you said i mean the details matter very much the question is um it is it is a question are they really being canceled like like you, you raised the point i mean the people are generally doing fine especially very successful people Um, And uh, when they say things in public, they have their responsibility, so you're making some some really good points there. Uh, So I I guess one question that uh, that I'm interested in personally is, is there an element of frenzy um, that either in council culture or in general? That um, exists out there, or is there like some sort of like a mob mentality that we have to to worry about, or this is just simply the result of the the technology that we that we have to live live with? So basically, are you worried at all about a potential mob mentality or 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 frenzy as it pertains to the modern world?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm reluctant to use those terms because I think that they are deliberately used by um, a certain kind of uh, it to try to like I think to 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 cast dispersions on on an argument to kind of oh, the, there's like a, there's a mob mentality behind this. Um, so I, I think that's it's often used not exactly as a straw man, but uh, it kind of in in that same sort of thing as a way of dismissing an argument without actually addressing the merits of of that argument. so, Again, I I might I might have lost so the, the question: is, Am I concerned about? Um.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, to, to be fair, I'm I'm not just saying that there's more mentality in the JK Rowling case. No. Or, no, you know, I, I know, no. I know. I know you were saying uh, that. I just wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, basi- language. Yeah. Basically, my and again, I'm not. Uh, maybe. Maybe I'm, I'm. I'm misphrasing it. But what I'm. What i basically comes back to to the question from earlier: the the potential magnifying uh, effect uh, of, of 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 our technological advances, right? The, the fact that. You know, one voice can be replicated. The so-called, uh, so-called uh, meme mentality—the idea that you know a, a certain idea can propagate culture very quickly, whether or not it has been um, it has been researched—it's sometimes irrelevant. And certain ideas propagate very quickly, and they can have a magnifying effect. And I was I was I was wondering if if that's um, and, and I think you, you already addressed it. You think it's, it's a straw manning of that argument, but I was just curious if there was.
2: Well, no, I, I do. Yeah. Now, now that you say that, I, I, I think there's there's a, um, I do think there's, there's a big problem of things being misrepresented and kind of extracted from their context. And I know, you know increasingly now that we, I think, legitimately are very concerned about um just been total fabrications right like with the kind of improved ability of like artificial intelligence or or things to just sort of uh make something that's extremely realistic looking but you know like probably now the the technology exists to you know put put you or me in like a a very realistic looking image that you know quite compromising and obviously not like something that we actually did um so i think that there is a kind of um i mean i guess Media literacy is is the term of just um and, and this is I think what's the, the closest thing that I would feel comfortable calling like a mob mentality is when someone uh you know like quote retweeting on, on Twitter is a good mm. example of this, where you can sort of see something that that someone said and it's a thing that they actually said, right? Like you are using their actual words. So, I mean, obviously you could lie about this too, and people will have those like fake screenshots, it's not actually someone's tweet, but like, you could even take a, a thing that a person actually said, or like an actual excerpt from something that, that they wrote, and then you you take it out of its context, and you insert your own commentary on it, and you essentially tell people what what to think about it, or, or tell people what the context or what the meaning for it was, and um many people are going you know especially if you have a big platform or there are many people who view you as a credible source uh people are going to accept what you said as correct and truthfully like my experience even after the fact if you show people the the content people are very reluctant to change their minds like once they've decided that that x means y um you can show them very like no that's that's literally not what happened yeah and like they're still like well i don't know i still don't like it you know there's like they've 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 made their emotional connection to it and, and that's that um so i i do think that like there's there's I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, we should just all be more media literate. But like, I think it's another example where the, the technology really is kind of outstripping our, our capacity and it, it's a big problem. And I think it it helps to be aware of the problem. But like, I've certainly fallen for things like that before myself. So it's not you know, like I'm not claiming to be, to be perfect in this regard either. I do think that you have to be extremely careful about who you choose to um, just like Allow in front of your eyes in the first place, because there, there's so much stuff that happens, even at kind of a subconscious level. Where I mean, I think people have this idea, uh, and it, I mean, this has been uh, it's like in, in the world of philosophy, I mean, it has been an outdated view of, of how human reasoning works for a very long time. But to have this idea of themselves as like rational no, agents, rational where they just now. sort of evaluate the information, they're like, oh, I just look at an argument and I evaluate it for myself, and I decide is this argument or true or false. And it's just like that's not how your brain works is not how reason it's not it's not that you are not an irrational person no one does that that's just not how we work and you know you may occasionally so essentially my thing is like if i catch somebody misrepresenting something like there's someone that i i you know i follow a lot of people on twitter and i unfollow a lot of people on on twitter and i you know i I essentially had someone seems promising and i follow them for a little bit and as soon as i catch that kind of um disingenuousness or or dishonesty or or whatever i see them misrepresent something you know i'm i'm pretty quick to unfollow or even block or mute them or whatever because i'm not going to catch them every time like once they've demonstrated their willingness to do that i'm not going to believe that i'll catch them every single time they do it like i know enough about certain so like there's a, there's a few people you know like um uh, Annie Duke, right? Who has I, I would say like a, a deservedly very bad reputation in mm-hmm. in the poker community has like outside of of you know is, is selling herself using her experiences in, in the poker world and presenting herself as like oh I learned all this stuff in poker and I can you know teach you these business skills as a result of my like brilliant poker experience and like a lot of podcasts. Uh, hosts or podcasts that I used to listen to have just sort of credulously brought her on their show and accepted at face value her story about, like, oh, I was, you know, they've apparently done no investigation into her, you know, have not like fact checked her claims about what she was like in the poker world. Or if they did, they chose not, not to engage with them. And like that dramatically lowers my opinion of any show. Like there's many shows that I stopped listening to because they brought Andy Duke on. And, That I mean, I would say that's not me canceling them in the sense of like, uh, I'm not it's it's me losing trust in their filter. You know, like you have to rely on other people's. I'm not gonna be an expert on everything in the world. And so, you know, I I have to put limited trust in in other people. And for me at least, the the way that I try to have like guardrails on that is. You know, you don't get to fool me twice, or I do my best to like stop you from fooling me twice. So once you show me that you're not responsible with the the platform that I've given you or the access that I've given you to my eyes and my thoughts, um, then I, I'm I'm pretty quick to uh, disengage.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you're casting your vote essentially. I mean, you're acting out your responsibility, and you you can ask, act. Excuse me, cast a negative vote in some sense. You say, you know what, this is this is not for me. And and uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Like, I mean, so that for 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 the listener, which uh, with which I think is very fair. I mean, it's if we don't react. To the environment around us, then um, how how will we get? How will we create a a mechanism where the higher quality things will will raise to the top? So often by you know stop listening uh, to to some people or to, uh, by prioritizing even better by prioritizing our time by spending our time to things which we value as higher quality, we can help promote better ideas. Of course, none of these mechanisms are perfect, but hopefully you know we get. To the in the similar way that we get to better movies by voting better movies in our personal subjective opinions higher, that way we can hopefully help some of these good ideas rise to the top and worse ideas go to the bottom. Again, not a perfect mechanism, but incrementally uh, we can we can shift in that direction. I, I, is that sort of like, a, or is it a caricature of your argument? I don't want to make it a caricature. No,
2: I, I think I think that's right. And I, I would say, I, and I, I probably I still sold myself short a little bit because I will try to bring it to the attention of, of those folks when I can and give them a chance Mm -hmm. to address it. So like this happened recently with, um, a person, it was was someone that I had actually started following because he is a little bit more right. He's about as right leaning as I can tolerate. Um, and so, you know, he, he was someone that I was like, well, I, am I'm trying to expose myself. So I also think this is important that like when you're trying to expose yourself to, I don't even want to say arguments that you disagree with because ideally it's, it's just more things I haven't thought of because right? like once I disagree with something, what that means to me is I've thought about it. I've decided it's wrong. I don't need to keep exposing myself to it again and again and again so I'm more interested in exposing myself to like perspectives that I just haven't considered at all that might not come into me from, from a different source. So, you know, he's, he's an economist, a uh, person that I, I started following, um, or you started listening to his podcast. I, there's a lot of interviews on there that I liked, that I thought were good that I've you know, benefited from, from hearing. And then he had Andy Duke on recently. And so, you know, I, I tweeted him and, and said, you know, I, Truthfully, I was probably not quite as compassionate in, in the tweet as I maybe could have been. But, you know, I was like, did you, did you know about her her history in in the poker world? Like, if so, you know, what was your thought process and like bringing her on? I think this reflects very poorly on you. And he just blocked me. And so that was like wow. the second thing. Where I was like, OK, it's one thing to make a mistake. Like, like I, I wouldn't say that like. i I feel pretty good about the guests i've had on the show but like there's one or two that i might do differently if uh you know in retrospect like maybe i wouldn't have had them as as guests on my show so like i understand that that mistakes happen and i know how difficult it is to get guests and if someone has a really good publicist and eventually you're sort of like "Uh, i do need a guest this week okay fine like i i understand that these, these things happen but like when someone brings to your attention like hey you dropped the ball on this one something slipped through it's important to me how do you handle that situation do you take responsibility for it and do you say oh, I guess I should have looked into that or right? maybe I'm not looking into any of my guests enough. I should start putting in place a more rigorous research process or stop taking people at their word when they tell me that certain things are true. Because now I have to wonder, like I know a lot about the poker space. So when a person comes up and says, hey, I was this super successful poker person. I'm like, no, actually the, you were a disaster in the poker world. <laughs> um, like I know that, but there's, I don't know, have, like how many any Dukes from other spheres have have been sold to me that I didn't, you know, recognize them for who they were
0: it does bring up an interesting point about for people who have a significant audience, like the responsibility that they have to their listeners to when they're putting forward either people or arguments or debate, that they're in some way balanced and not too subjective. I think, like Matt Berkey was talking about this um, very eloquently in around the whole uh, infamous uh, Jack Forehand thing and it's sort of his awareness around how much influence he actually has as a presenter like his uh, how much of an influence he is on his audience and that trying to be understanding that that has consequences what he says and does to in front of his viewers may have consequences for other people that he hadn't realized before and just sort of understanding that he has more about his own responsibility now than he did previously
2: yeah I, i've had some conversations with with matt specifically around this subject and um i should warn you I have, i'm gonna have to go in about five minutes but um uh on on the subject of, of kind of like w- one thing that he that he and i talked about is like what does it mean to be authentic because i i think there there's some pushback from people who are kind of like well I can't even speak my mind anymore. You know, like I, I can't just say, I, I can't say, say what I think or, or or say what I feel. And I think there's a difference between like, so, so much of like, we all put out so much content now, uh, you know, but not literally everyone, but like everyone on the show and also Matt Berkey, um, you know, we put out a a lot of content and like, we're not putting into it the kind of thought that went into, um, the great Gatsby, right? Like, sort of like great things that have, have been created. And like, none like nothing that we think of as great, nothing that we would like point to as great was the result of someone just like firing off the first thoughts that came into their head. And in most cases, it was a matter of like, they wrote it down and then they thought about it and they're like, "Hmm, do I really believe that? Is that actually what I want to say? Maybe it would be a little better if I said it this way. And they ran it past other people and those people gave them feedback. And they were like, I don't know. I think it's a little tangential. Like, I think there's, you know, a lot of that isn't happening with the, with the content that's going out now. And the idea that like, as a result, like because we're not going through those filters, like somehow the things that we're saying, like more, more authentically represent ourselves. Like, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Like I, I just, th- there's there's that whole premise of um, that sort of like being spontaneous is the same as being authentic. And I, I don't feel that way at all. In fact, I kind of, I often you know when I'm spontaneous, I often feel like later, oh, I could have I could have said that better. I didn't really like I'm sure there's probably could be if I, I I won't for this reason, but like if I were to rewatch this, there would definitely be moments where I was like, Oh, you could have worded that better. You know, they, they could have found a better example for that. Um so there's a lot of things where I feel like because I was spontaneous, I was not as authentic as I could have been. And I, I didn't give the the things that I wanted to say as much um I, I didn't cast them in as, as good of a light as as I could have. And I, I think that happens um quite a bit now with with uh, how much stuff just sort of gets, you know, it's like we don't do drafts or anything on our podcast. It's just like one and done. We record it yeah. and it, out it goes, you know, that's.
0: Yeah, very light editing. It's just literally, you know, if there's a break or something, we'll edit that out. That's yeah, it. it's it's like maybe really like if, if there's like a red.
2: scream in the background, we'll take that out. But
1: like. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, Andrew, I feel exactly the same way. And I like, you yeah. know, to I like to be spontaneous as well. But to your point, I feel exactly the same way as you just described, right? The idea that uh, if you prepare, uh, it's easier to phrase specific arguments. And it's, to me, at least, it's really painful to know that there is such a better way to express things. and uh, And I believe Uh, Andrew, you and Nate, we were discussing this in the previous podcast, the idea of like the so-called rewrites. We're writing something and then we rewrite it, rewrite it, keep editing it until it becomes uh, not perfect, but at least tolerable. So to the point that, you know, we can let it off our hands. So I I, I can definitely, we want to be respectful of your time. uh, And uh, we have a million of questions, which we're not going to get time to, to, to get to those. So here is what I'm proposing. I'm going to read some of these questions and then you choose whichever one you feel you uh, you 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 want to answer? How does that sound? Okay. okay. So, one question is uh, debate league and how to make rational arguments. The other question is what do you think about EA? Which I'm assuming it's they're talking about effective altruism. Specifically, how does it compare to more traditional philosophies like Christianity or Islam? Uh, we have another question uh, about um, how you changed to uh how you evolve your thinking about how to play poker and how to coach over the years so we have a question about evolution of you as a player and as a coach And another interesting question uh is um how do you know when a conversation is you know legitimately you know contentious but worthy of continuing and when to to jump ship So we have a question about debate league and rational arguments, a question about effective altruism, your evolution as a poker player and as a coach, and uh, how do you know when a discussion is worth continuing and when to jump ship?
2: Uh, okay, so on the subject of a discussion worth continuing, mm-hmm. um, I I think most of these are going to require uh, more than two minutes to, sure, <laughs> to yes. give a good answer <laughs> to. Um, so I would be happy to do this again sometime soon, and absolutely, um, we, we can adjust those in in more detail. Uh, now that, you, that that last one did kind of strike my my fancy a little bit, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to give like a, a very quick answer to to that, which sure. is that um, I think the the important thing to me is that uh, I feel like. I'm still being listened to in in the uh, discussion or debate or argument or whatever. Like, uh, so once I feel like someone is no lie, I mean, it, whether it's literally they're not listening, like they're, they're sort of talking over you or, or cutting you off or whatever, or you, they're just not, Processing what you're saying, like they're just if this happens in in novice debates all the time. We've got two shifts passing at a night. You know, it's sort of like each team understands their own arguments, but they don't engage at all with what the other person said. They just keep getting up and re-explaining what what they do. And you know that happens quite a bit, like on on Twitter. And I think we, with my background in debate, I'm a lot better than the average person at kind of uh compelling that interaction where when someone gives a response that doesn't because uh, part of the problem is you know A says something. And then, you know, I'll I'll say what I want to say. And then they'll say something new that's sort of like very provocative but doesn't address what I said. And so it's very tempting for me to then like jump on the shiny thing that they just brought up and be like, oh, but I have a strong opinions on that too. So like keeping it focused or, or kind of recognizing where the core of, of the disagreement is, that I think is like one of the biggest things that I got out of debate is being able to prioritize. Because competitive debate takes place with uh, time limits on your speeches. And in fact, part of the like, the 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 sort of technical side of debate that has nothing to do with like being good at arguing. It, like there are things that like if if I were debating a team that were much worse than I was, one of the things I could probably do to win the debate that would have nothing to do with like the quality of my arguments is I could just um, put them in a position where they really struggled with time management and they just ran out of time to answer everything. I could just like talk faster than they do and like make a lot of arguments very efficiently and they would just like not be able to answer them as efficiently as, as I made them. So, you know, there there's a problem or whatever in, in debate and in, in asymmetry of uh, you know, someone can, can be very good at that technical skill. But when you get two teams who are kind of relatively equally good at, at that efficiency thing, then like the way you become more efficient than them is not like talking more quickly or using better word economy. It's recognizing which arguments are the, the kind of central ones where you're dedicating more of your time and your words to the things that matter most. And so being able to get, well, if I can prove this, then all the, the rest of that stuff kind of becomes irrelevant. You know, like so, like being able to identify that, that kind of thing and, and boil the argument down to that. So I, I think that I'm like a good deal better than the average person at kind of... Pushing discussions in that direction. And so, if people are willing to take that guidance and like if, if they go off on tangents and they're willing to come back, I'd be like, oh, no, hold on, you didn't address this thing, which I think is really important. If they're willing to come back and do that, then I often consider that conversation worth continuing. I will say that that's like a good deal of work on my part and often requires like they get upset and I have to stay calm during that. So, like, I do try to be limited where, like, I'll do that with certain people, but it kind of requires, like, it requires a lot of trust on my part to be willing to put forward that effort when I don't know that it's actually going to pan out. So, like, I'm most willing to do that with people who I already know, uh, who have proven themselves in the past, or I, like, I have a relationship with them that they're, like, I know that they're interested in maintaining that relationship. And so, you know, they're going to feel a little more um, compelled to to... You know, engage, honestly, in, in, in that way. And I'm pretty reluctant to do like some of like random trolls on Twitter. I don't sure. do that. You know, I'm not like, okay, hold on, let's have a discussion about this thing that you just, you know, like, um, I, it's maybe, maybe they would be perfectly fine interlocutors. Like, I'm not necessarily assuming that they wouldn't be. I'm just saying I don't have the confidence that I would need in order to put forward the kind of effort that I just described.
1: No, this is this is very excellently put, and uh, um, what you are describing, I sort of created a, a term for it. I, I call it the compatibility of disagreement. And essentially, if you can imagine um, the two opposing views as a branching tree, you know, you start, um, you know, one path goes to the left, the other path goes to the right. But if you think about it, if you reverse that tree backwards, there was a point even if you have to go really, 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 really far back. I mean, if you go back to the first amoeba, so to speak, of the evolution, you know, like yeah. there was a common point at some point. You may have to go really far back, but that, and for me, like finding that common point, no, no matter how far back you have to go, right? Right me that's where it matters to can start understand the compatibility of disagreement and and, and it's beautiful that, that you put it you know like the idea of like not addressing specific points i think is very very paramount to a conversation uh and, and to me it's a sign of good faith and, and interest in actually uh you know um is, is that a fair assessment sort of like so yeah
2: of like- no i think that that's a really nice analogy that that's kind of how i think about it as well okay, okay.
1: great well, Andrew, we appreciate your time and coming up to uh, showing up with us today and discussing. It goes without saying you're welcome to to do this with us at any point. Uh, we, we had a great time. And uh, where can people find you?
2: Uh, probably the number one place would be the Thinking Poker podcast. Uh, which you can find on whatever you know podcasting platform you listen to. That's where I say I would say I do my best work, and that's because I have my best co-worker there uh, in, in the form of uh, co-host Carlos Welch, whom you Carlos mentioned and previously, uh, Nate Mavis, and the, the many guests such as yourself, Duncan, who have contributed as well. Um, so I would say that's like the, the work that I'm most proud of, That and, and the books uh, Play Optimal Poker and Play Optimal Poker 2. Those are the rare case you know, work that I put out that was actually heavily revised and improved as a result of that revision process and uh, the input of of many other people. Um, And then uh, on Twitter, uh, at Thinking Poker, for as long as Twitter continues to be a platform worth using, which I'm a little (laughs) more optimistic about than I was a a few uh, months ago, but we'll say. Yeah, those those are the main spots.
1: Excellent. Well, uh, you you heard it here, folks. Uh, The podcast is Thinking Poker. The Twitter account has the same name at uh, Thinking Poker. And of course, Play Optimal Poker 1 and 2, uh, really highly acclaimed book. I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, whatever your views are on 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 GTO, this is a, this is a book worth reading. And and the reason for that is because it goes down to the to the basic ideas uh, behind it and why certain things work and others and others don't. So I, as someone who you know, you heard me, you know. Uh, arguing in 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 both uh, being very critical of the way people are approaching gto in general i have to to say that this book is is incredible and i, I highly recommend it to anybody who is interested either in working with or without it's uh, and and i don't know Andrew if you want to have any any comments specifically on on the book because i really i really personally like it
2: uh i, I appreciate your endorsement but i should run so uh, uh, you thank you you got it <laughs>
1: you got it Andrew all right All right. thank you thank you very much for your time and uh Thank you, everybody, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, Take care, guys. see you, everyone, next week.
0: Thanks again, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.